Welcome to Aiming for the Moon. I am Taylor Bledsoe. And I'm Maddie Henry. And on this podcast, we interview interesting people from a teenage perspective. That's right. And today we will be interviewing Greg McEwen, who's the New York Times bestselling author of Effortless and Essentialism. He's also the CEO of McEwen Inc. So here's the interview. Welcome, Greg McEwen. It's great to have you here. So you are the New York Times bestselling author of Essentialism and your new book, Effortless. You're also the CEO of McEwen Inc. And you kind of have this philosophy philosophy of essentialism and less is better. So it's great to have you here. Thanks so much for coming on the show. It's such a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Okay, so to start off kind of the interview, a lot of people might not know what essentialism is. So could you kind of define the definitions here? What is essentialism? Essentialism is a way of seeing life and all of your decisions through the question, what is essential? And then creating space to explore the answer to that question, then eliminating the non-essential. So trying to get rid of everything else. Uh, And then trying to build a system to make it as effortless as possible to do those things that really matter most. That's a cycle, an ongoing cycle to explore, eliminate, and execute. And that's really what essentialism is. Yeah, that's really interesting. And yeah, I really enjoyed I finished the book this morning and it was great. And now I want to be an essentialist. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, it's awesome. So I was reading through the book and when when I first started it, I kind of thought, you know, this seems like kind of a how-to book for how to become more productive in your life. And that's about all. But what I realized is when I finished the book, it's more of a lifestyle than a how-to process to be more productive. So could you explain that a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, there's first there's two distinctions here to make. The first is that I don't actually think of essentialism as being about productivity, even though it often gets put in that category. And the difference is this, that productivity is about getting more stuff done, whereas essentialism is about getting more of the right things done. And that's a really big difference. I mean, we can use a metaphor here for a second that, that imagine that somebody spent their whole life thinking that life is akin to a a coal mine. And so that the job of life is to get as much of this coal from point A to point B. And then they suddenly wake up and they go, oh, actually, I've never been in a coal mine. That isn't isn't true. What I've been in is uh, is in, in a diamond mine. And suddenly, if you had that eureka, if you had that aha, it would change everything. It would change the way you approached every day of your life because suddenly you'd say, well, the job is to look for the for the diamonds, to look for the essentials. Uh, they're so valuable if you find them that, that that they're worth the extra time and energy in order and, and and discernment in order to find those things. So that's the first distinction is that is that essentialism is about the right things and finding those disproportionately valuable things and eliminating the disproportionately unimportant things, the trivial many from our lives. The second is that is is a question of like is a, is essentialism something you do occasionally? Is it like one extra thing you sort of try to bolt on or add on to your life, or is it a way of seeing the world and a way of being in the world? And and of course, I'm advocating that it's a way of seeing it and being in the world, uh, as you already put it, becoming an essentialist. So. If you want to become an essentialist, that's a totally different um, 
challenge uh, because it's not just something to comprehend. It's to say, okay, well, how do I translate this into a whole lifestyle? And the reason that you want to create a lifestyle out of essentialism and to become an essentialist is because you don't want to just get to the end of your life and say, well, I did a couple of essential things along the way. You want to get to the end of your life and say, I spent the preponderance of my life, the, 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 the totality of it, doing the things that were very important. And so the only way to do that is to build it into the systems of your life, the habits of your life, the routines and the rituals, so that you're doing what's essential even when you're not consciously thinking of it. Uh, if you do it only when you are deliberately, intentionally thinking of it, it takes too much energy. You're not going to do it uh, consistently. You're only going to do it intermittently now and then. And so for essentialism to become what it can become, it needs to become a lifestyle, a way of being and seeing in the world. Okay, that's really interesting. So could you kind of t define like what you believe is essential and some of the things that you believe are that you shouldn't focus as much on, the things that you would categorize as, I guess, not essential? So could you give some of those examples? Yeah, I mean, m most of the time I, I put this back on individuals because that's kind of the point of the exercise is to start reflecting like what is important to you? What is not important to you? So that you don't get to the end of your life and say, oh, I lived a life that other people thought was essential, that I lived a life around what I thought other people wanted me to do. Instead of figuring out what did I come here to do? What is my essential mission in life? And so generally I'm a little hesitant to tell people, oh, this is this is what's important to you. Um, but for me, in my life, uh, I, I will maybe answer your question with an, an example, a fail in my life. When I was uh, I received a, an email from my boss at the time that said, look, Friday between one and two would be a very bad time for your wife to have a baby because we need you. I need you to be at this client meeting uh, from one to two. And my wife was expecting uh, our, uh, our daughter at that time. And I, I assumed that my boss was just joking, but it turned out that I, we were in the hospital. Our daughter had just been born on Friday. And instead of being focused on what was the higher priority, to be there for Anna, my wife, to be in the moment with our newborn daughter, I'm, I've got my email you know, I've got my phone out, my laptop out. I'm, I'm feeling torn. I'm trying to do it all. And to my shame, I went to the meeting. And so uh, even afterwards, I remember my boss said, look, the client will respect you for the choice you just made. But the look on their faces didn't evince that sort of respect. And I, in hindsight, had made a fool's bargain. I had violated something more essential. So for me, that's my family, for something less essential, which in this case was a, a client meeting. What I learned from that was the simplest of lessons uh, and, and one that's good good as a teenager, one that's good as in middle life and, and towards the end of our lives too. And it's this, if you don't prioritize your life, someone else will. So it's really taking responsibility for this question. What's essential? It, it really is saying, I'm not going to have that determined by other influencers, other people at my school, or, you know, even, and I, I don't want to overemphasize this point, but even like, you know, your own parents, you, you, you've got to develop an ability to discern this for yourself. 
and it and to really take responsibility for that prioritization. So I've given an example in my life of something that's more essential and less essential, but really I still want to put the emphasis that the main point is to take responsibility for this uh, and not outsource it to someone else as, as many of us do. That's really interesting. And that makes sense that everybody else would have their own things that they believe are essential. So I think it's a great way of putting it that family wasn't essential to you, but some other things may be also essential to other people. So our next question is, how does essentialism apply to teenagers and students? Yeah, look, I mean, the the, the risk is that a teenager thinks, well, I'm on a race. I got to get these grades, got to get to college, got to get a job got to and they if you're not careful they can get on what could be described as a race to nowhere uh, and people wake up and they're sort of now in their 30 years old or mid 30s or something and they go Man, what do i what do i even want to do with my life they've been on such a rush to just do the next thing that everyone else is doing that they haven't actually thought about the questions we're talking about not seriously anyway and so they're just in a rush to get on, on with things. And, and so what I would encourage anyone to do, and certainly as a teenager to do it, say, look, what is your highest contribution? What are you built to do, born to do? What's your unique mission in life? You know, that's, that, that isn't like a one-time question. I would say that's the very work of life. So you have to keep coming back to it. It's not just... I've, I can't just ask it one time and I'm done or even 50 times. I ask that question, I think, more than almost more than anyone I know, because it's like, that's the work. Keep coming back to it. What's my best? What's my priority today? Now, how about this? The, the, the word priority came into the English language in the 1400s. And then it was singular. It meant one thing, not just any one thing, the very first thing. And it stayed singular for 500 years. So that means that people weren't using the term priorities at all for half a millennium. And then like the word comes into the English language, priorities, and, and now people, well, here are my 34 priorities. They all have to be done before anything else. And as a teenager, I think you have a particular challenge with this. If you're in a traditional high school program, your, your math teacher thinks that the priority is math. And if you're, if you're in a sport, well, that, the, you know, that the swim coach thinks the only, the priority is swim. And, you know, every single person you answer to thinks their thing is the only thing. And so the risk is that if you don't think about it for yourself, you're just going to get pulled into many, many different things. And they're all going to get emphasized as if they're all equally important. And at some point in the future, like a half of it halfway into your whole life you suddenly start pushing back and go okay hold on what is this about well there's no reason you have to wait till then i think starting the earliest possible moment to start saying okay what really is it and creating some space to think and brainstorm i know that my oldest daughter was 10 years old when she was really like we were talking about this all as a family and she went in her room and she stayed up late one night brainstorming and she left as a, a note underneath the door that that late at night got it the next morning and it was with this big eureka which is like professionally she knew what she wanted to do she wanted to be a director and so this is now you know this is 8 years ago was well, for 8 years she's been able to have that advantage to be able to go through all these decisions knowing that is the goal that's what i want to be about 
I'm not telling that story because people have to know when they're 10 years old what they want to do. I'm saying at the first moment someone starts asking the questions, they can start having insight, which will help guide the direction and also the trajectory of the rest of their life. You don't have to waste half of it just doing what other people think you're supposed to be doing. You can start on a journey that's unique to you. And that makes all the difference. Yeah, that's a really interesting concept. And I really like the idea how we're comparing it to students because a lot of school, a lot of people just say the essential thing is to get into a good college and graduate. But then you're like, well, why? Why should I get into a good (laughs) college and graduate? Like, what's the thinking behind that? It's like, no, 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 this I'm telling you, you will regret it when you're my age or whatever. And you're like, but why? So it's interesting when you think about this. We have a lot of people on who tell you how to get into college, which is great. And you do need to know that. But then you always have to ask, well, why Why go to college in the first place? And then you start exploring that. And that's its own topic. And that's really interesting in itself. So you also, t- what? We, yeah, continue. No, I'm all in favor, by the way. I'm all in favor of, of get all the education a person possibly can, get the very best education that you possibly can. I'm just in addition to that in favor of doing it as purpose-driven education, purpose-driven learning, because because if you can get the purpose behind what you're doing, in addition to the formal education, you'll have a whole lifelong pursuit of understanding that. So I once was at law school and I quit law school to do what I really wanted to learn about, which was teaching and writing in the field of leadership and and, and personal development. That's been my lifelong education. I have spent 10,000 hours and, and way beyond it in informal education on those subjects because they're naturally deeply purposeful and and it's something that I'm I'm drawn to and I feel a sense of mission about. And so I think that's the idea is be mission driven while you're getting all the education so that you can start to to tap into a lifelong interest rather than just a checkbox interest, you know, that just, as they say, can be a race to nowhere and leave people suddenly going, well, sure, I got the degree and I got I got I got all these checkboxes but I actually am just lost. Yeah, that's interesting. It's like this purpose-driven idea of life and the pursuit of education. And it's really interesting. And you don't often hear that, I think. Or maybe they think it's implied, but a lot of times in school, you don't get that even if they think it's implied. So I think that's really helpful. Well, so most people, that- and most, I'm sorry to keep you interrupting, but mo- most people don't pursue in any way whatsoever what they study in university. There's very little correlation, in fact, between what people study and what they go on to do in their lives. And I'm not sure entirely all the reasons for that, but I, I think there's an inefficiency built into it. And I think it, I don't know if it's implied or not, but I think, I would say it's not even implied. I think it's just not even the thing. You know, how many times in a school, in a formal school setting, have you had a teacher provide questions and opportunity for you to really actually think about what you want to do with your life and what your plan is and what you'd like to. And look, there's, I'm not saying you make a plan and you're done. Of course not. Um, you know, focus is a verb, not just a noun. It's something you do and do again and do again and do again. And so the question I would be asking is what's important now? But you ask that all the time, every day. It's a disciplined pursuit. What's important now? What's important today? And then you ask it the next day and you keep coming back to this question instead of just asking, okay, 
What does my teacher need me to do? What does, you know, what is everyone else doing? You keep coming back. What is really this? What am I really built to do? What am I really, what's my great contribution going to be? I, I think that this is given very little actual time in any syllabus that I am aware of in almost any school, whether it's elementary, middle, high school, even college education, even graduate education is hardly built into the curriculum at all. And so I'm not sure exactly why that is, but to me, it's so important because it's not just enough to learn, you know, to, 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 to know what what to know. Uh, it's like, it's like why to know, why am I pursuing this learning? I think is, is, is why it's more important, I think, than anything else, actually. For me, even like just on a, on a basis of knowing things in math, that helps the why question. Like, why should I even know how to multiply polynomials or and all the other stuff? Like, why is that even important? Even just in the basic things of like learning, if you're a little kid learning to read, well, why should I learn to read? Well, so that you can go around and like not get lost in the middle of the library or something like that or yeah, on the road. Yeah, I think that's right. I think tying it tying it to these bigger purposes because there's a and it's a transition. I don't mean to suggest that a five year old you just go, okay, you're on your own now. Here it is. Of course not. But the goal the goal at least with we we run a home education program for for our children and and the the intent of our of our education is the following is to help each of our children and now all of them are teenagers and help each of them to to feel recognize and follow the their voice of conscience that's the purpose of the education now we want to also develop of course all of these capacities we're talking about their their analytical capacities and numerical we want them to be able to understand you know the sciences and the, and to read i mean our eldest has read probably 200 books you know pre college uh, you know in her teenage years and the others are, are probably the same or a little more i mean we want loads of knowledge and information we want lots of experience and travel and, and richness of education but underneath all of it is that singular objective. That's the essential intent. Why? Because if they develop that, then the job of parenting and the primary job even of teaching, as a, in a, in a, at least in one sense, is resolved completely. It's they're, they're now guiding their life. And it isn't the structure of school or the structure of you know, whatever program they're in. It's internal. And so suddenly, once you have that, I mean, it's unbelievable what you can start to do because you start to be guided by not by a scared voice of, well, what's everyone else doing? FOMO, fear of missing out. I've got to catch up. I've got to have the grade that they have and so on. You start being guided by what I could call a sacred voice where you say, I know what I'm supposed to do and I know what I'm not supposed to do. And it's really different than other people. And that's okay. Uh, I'm at peace with that because I can feel that I'm being guided and it's not it's, I almost think of nothing, nothing so terrible as activity without purpose. <laughs> and so much of traditional school ends up being that. And so I, I want to say, no, we don't want any activity without purpose. Keep coming back to the why so that you can, so that you can live uh, an essential life by the time we're done. 
to be honest, I think that's why a lot of my classmates and I, we can sometimes get really, really annoyed with school. And it's not just the fact that we're having to do stuff and work all the time, which, I mean, to be honest, I think a lot of people don't mind putting in the work. It's just they think it's all pointless because the next day they're going to have an equal amount of work and it's not going to end. It's going to be the same thing. They're, they're going to come home, finish the work, give it in the next day, and they're going to say, okay, you got this many wrong and here's some more work. So then it's just that repeated cycle up till you're 18 and then you do it. And then actually that little, the busy work that they give you actually starts to matter. And then you're like, Oh no, I'm so, I'm so bored. Yeah. I hate, I hate to be so sort of, um, I don't know. I could go two different directions on this. Nietzsche said something. This is, this is a more positive thing of saying. Nietzsche said, you know, if, if I, if I understand the why I can live, if I understand the why I can live with any how, you know, knowing the why and really attaching to why I think is a way to be able to deal with some hows you don't want to have to do. You know, I know that for me, a huge change in my educational pursuit changed when once I had a sense of mission, very clear that I needed to go to Stanford for my uh, to do an MBA, and I didn't even know where Stanford was at that time. And once I once I looked into it, I was you know it's a little unfortunate to discover that it's uh, uh, the, the hardest, you know, like the, the highest rejection rate of any university, any business school program in the world. Uh, and my and my GPA wasn't even up to scratch to be able to do it. So, right. Like, then no, those were good news, but none of that mattered because the why was so clear, so personal. It been, my wife and Anna and I had been, we'd been at church and someone there had just been talking and they happened to be at Stanford Law School. I never met them or anything, but just on the way home, oh, maybe I should go there, you know, because I'm in exploring what's really the, the right thing to do. Maybe I should do an MBA at Stanford. The second I said it, you could feel that total, you know, mind, you know, heart alignment. That is the thing. And not only that, but it was it was do that and don't apply anywhere else. So the logical thing to do, the, the, the right thing to do for everyone is to apply to five different schools, you know, a couple of stretch goals, you know, one or two safe schools and then somewhere in the middle. And every time I went to even do that, I could feel this this lack of this like, no, don't do it. You, this is the only school. And I applied twice to Stanford. I didn't get in the first time. I applied again, you know, a couple of years later. And it was just this absolutely, uh, I mean, it was a, I mean, I would just say it was almost, it was like miraculous to me, the things that came together to allow me to get in. Uh, and, and that's what the journey was like. Now that's altogether different experience than just, okay, well, what's everyone else doing? Okay. They're going to college. Okay. What's everyone doing? Okay. These are the schools that people should go to. It wasn't a, what other people are doing. It was a, is a, is something within when you know what you're supposed to do from within you, you, you can, you can put up with all sorts of other things. You're willing to change everything because you've got a target, an intent that is clear and is powerful. And yeah, I mean, the, the unfortunate side of this really is that traditional school is inefficient in optim in what we're talking about. It isn't built for this. I mean, what it's built for, and I'm not trying to knock traditional schooling and saying it, it's built to try to efficiently get a lot of people to know the same things. That's what it's built for. It was the, the modern educational system was built in the Industrial Revolution. Before the Industrial Revolution, there was not sufficient um, there wasn't sufficient funds 
to be able to educate the masses. So the people that got educated were, the, were generally speaking, the elite, because they could afford to have books and personal tutors. And so books were so expensive, it was a big deal to get them. They're very hard to print. You get them expensive. You'd have a tutor that would come into your home, educate the children that could do it. That's what you had. The Industrial Revolution changed everything. It increased productivity by 50 times. And by doing that, it allowed suddenly there to be resources to be able to say, well, the children don't have to work. We can put them into schools. So what kind of schools were built once you could do that? You built factory schools. They look like factories. They work like factories. You put people in rows like factories. It's a factory-based system. And that has some upsides to it, but it definitely has the downside we're talking about right now, which is not personalized. It's not about find, helping each of you that we're talking to today and each person listening to this to find their unique mission in life. It's not designed to do that. So we sh- shouldn't be surprised when it doesn't, but it is clearly going to be frustrating for anyone who wants to achieve that. Definitely. And I, I think you're really right. That's not emphasized a lot in the school. So it's, it's really kind of nice to kind of hear that because you find what is right for you and that may or may not be going to college. I mean, maybe the thing that you really feel like you want to do isn't college or whatever, but I, I think that's great. And that needs to be emphasized a little more, but we actually have to move on to our last two questions. And the first one is what books have an impact on you and why? Uh, so many books that have had an impact on me. It's, it's a tricky thing to answer it. And, and most of the books that I've read, even though I've loved my formal education experiences, especially higher, um, most of the, the books that have impacted me have been just self-driven, you know, books, uh, lifelong learning, um, you know, Man's Search for Meaning, if nobody's mentioned that already, you know, that's a, that's a must read. Um, it's the story, it's the very touching story of a, a psychologist and a Jew, Viktor Frankl, uh, who went through the concentration camps in in Germany, and I have Jewish ancestry, so you know it's no it's no joke, right? It wasn't very long ago that this was happening. Really, it's a very very recent history, and he wrote writes about his experience. His his wife, his um, uh, expecting a baby, uh, was uh, was killed in the concentration camps, as well as the rest of his family. Uh, he's going through these horrific experiences, and a couple of the reasons worth reading. Message for being. One is that puts our lives in perspective, helps us to live in gratitude, which anybody, anybody listening to this, it needs to. Otherwise, they're, they're going to that life will ruin them. It's not like gratitude; it's nice to have. If you don't have gratitude in a time of so of such relatively immense prosperity and peace and goodness and opportunity, we get ruined. That's what happens. We will be, we will be spoiled and destroyed. <laughs> so gratitude is so important because it, and it's only lack of perspective that, that make, makes us not be grateful. Uh, so that, that's one reason. But the second is that he formulated a theory before the, his concentration camp experiences, but especially through it, a way to live through any amount of struggle or suffering or challenge. And he called it logotherapy. And it's, to, it's meaning-based living. It's to figure out your why. So it's a theme that we have here. That's, that's one book that's really been impactful for me. Did you ask for two? No, 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 no. You can do as many as you want. Some people do multiple, some people have one, but I think that, I think that's an amazing book. And I, I do like what you said, how it kind of puts your perspective a little bit in check and be like, 
oh, that thing that I was worrying about not being able to eat ice cream or going out with my friends. It's not, not that important. Like it kind of puts that in perspective. So we're going to have to definitely check that out. It sounds great. Boys in the boys in the boat is another terrific one. Uh, I love boys in the boat. That's the subject of of focus. Uh, something, a story of, of, of these, uh, basically poor students taking on the most elite universities in the world. Uh, and they, they just, uh, you know, what, what amazed to me, an amazing story of just calm steadiness and what extraordinary accomplishment follows that kind of steadiness in life. Yeah. I I've heard of that book and it's on my list to read. So our last question is what advice do you have for teenagers? Um, well, I was asked this question a little differently sometime recently, and it was, uh, it was, what would advice would you give to yourself, you know, your younger self? And, and I think I'll answer it that way, which is, um, well, what I said, what I would say to myself as a teenager would be, it all, it all works out and better than you think. That's, that's what I would say, because I think you need hope and, and sometimes as a teenager, it can feel like my, my whole life will be in this, doing what I'm doing right now. And it won't be, you know, you have even maybe, maybe someone listening to this is actually very unhappy. Maybe they're very unhappy with their family situation. They could have all sorts of troubles going on at school. Uh, you know, some of the worst things I've ever seen in my life happened at school. Uh, or maybe, maybe family looks like it's happy on the outside, but you're in the inside of it and you can see how stuck you are, how awful it is. You have siblings or so on. Like it can be rough, but this is not your whole life. It just feels like it now, but, but there's, there's good things to come. There's great things to come. And especially true. If you can get to the point where you start to tune in to educate your conscience to guide so that you can be guided in life. You will be guided to most amazing things. Life has turned out so much better for me than I ever imagined when I was a teenager. And I think that's true, uh, can be true for the future for, for, for everybody listening to this. Well, that's really incredible. So thank you so much, Mr. Greg McEwen, for coming on. It was amazing talking about essentialism, talking about your advice for teenagers and everything else we talked about in between. So again, thank you so much for coming on. We really enjoyed our talk. It's been real pleasure. Thank you so much for doing this, for showing the initiative and for inviting me on. Thank you. I really enjoyed talking to Mr. Greg McEwen. I thought it was a really interesting topic, essentialism, and how you need to focus on the essential things. And that I loved how he talked about priority, how priority is a singular word or used to be a singular word. What did you think about all of that, Maddie? I agree with you. I thought that was an interesting little thing that he said that it was singular. And then just recently, people started creating it and making it priorities. And so... I, I, I thought the entire concept, you read the book, which, so I thought that was, I need to go and read the book, but I think the entire concept is, I think it's great. I think it's definitely really interesting because it goes against what kind of, I feel like America kind of says, maybe if that makes sense. Like, yeah, so, like the grind, like you want to do yeah, yeah. Doing multiple things at once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be productive is kind of what. I feel like, I don't know, but I, I think it, I think it's great. I, I loved it. It was a fun interview. Yeah. I also enjoyed it a lot for the same reasons as you mentioned. 
and I enjoyed hearing it from like a how to apply this as a student. And I thought that was really interesting. And how you need to have like a as a central idea, and then that helps you get through school. And it's not as much about the grades that you get; it's more about do those grades get you on your main path? Was what he was saying. And I thought that was interesting. I think that is interesting. Kind of give some thought now into what you kind of want to do, and if you're like. No, I, I really don't want to do this, even though some other people would be like, no, 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 that's important. Like, you're going to regret it later if you don't do blank. And you're like, no, no, I really feel called to this or and you follow that. I feel like that'd be more people need to do that, in my opinion, and not be like, get out of college and be like, OK, what do I want to do with my life and my degree now? <laughs> but it's not just that. It's like asking the why behind a lot of this. It's not just like questioning it. It's figuring out the why behind it as well. And I found that interesting. And I think that was an, cause I haven't really thought about that as much. I mean, I thought about that on my own, but no one's like told me that unlike him in, in the interview. So I thought that was quite an interesting discussion that we had. Yeah, definitely. I feel like you ask that a little bit more than I do. And so once I started getting to know you, you'd ask the why behind a lot of things more than I would. And so you've started me a little bit more asking why behind different things. So I, I feel like that would have been really interesting and cool because I, I, you're the person that I know that tells me to ask the why, and then you got to hear from somebody else. So I thought that was fun. I feel like I'm the person who asks the why too many times. It's like, cause I'll, I'll think about phrases in my mind and then Maddie knows I do this, but I'll be thinking about now, why would that word be? Why do we say that phrase? I would, the other day I was actually thinking like, why do we call it outside? Why is there that combination? But why, why are you outside? Why are you out of a side? Like what, what makes people think like that? And I almost feel like I ask too many questions about stuff like that, but Hey, yeah, Greg, I ask doing? it in different, no, I don't feel like you ask it too much. I ask it in different ways though than you do. I ask more of how things work than like, if that makes sense. Yes. A little bit, I'm asking like almost philosophical linguistic. Yeah. <laughs> I ask more of why is it this way and why does it work that way? Like the human body and like yeah. stuff like that. Like, but science. Yeah. I think, I think it's healthy to ask why though. I think yeah, it's like you the do human it well. question. I think it's you like, do it well. So oh, thank you. You do too in your own way. <laughs> Maddie, so the book ideas, I've heard about that author whose wife and his entire family died in the Holocaust. That's a horrible story. And I I want to read that book at some point. I'd forgotten he had written. I just knew he had a story and he was a philosopher. It sounds, yeah, it sounds like you could get a lot and glean a lot from that book, though, even though it'd be, it'd be eye-opening. That's, that's one way of putting it. Yeah, it would be awful to hear about that story. But so the other book he mentioned was Boys in the Boat. And I haven't read that, as I mentioned, but hey, it's on my list. So it was an awesome interview. And his advice was kind of like what Stuart Gibbs said, wouldn't you say? A little bit. Yeah, it's I thought he said it in his own way, but it also kind of correlated to some of the past guests advice. And Stuart, so, yeah, Stuart Gibbs, for the record, said that t- being a teenager is not like the like it's not the best part of life. Like you're going to have other good parts of life as well, which yeah, when you listen to the interview, it makes more sense how that ties in. Yeah, yeah, but that's kind of what he said. I feel like there's another, and I know that right now your teenage years or whatever feels like this is your life and it will be forever, but there's a whole nother section of life coming and it's, you're not going to be a teenage forever. That's what Stuart Gibbs said. That's not just Maddie preaching, I swear. 
<laughs> That's not me just standing on a pulpit. I sound, we always sound so old when we do this though. We do. Like we sound like we're 30 or like not old. 30 is not old. I'm not saying that, but like <laughs> older than we are. And then like looking back and be like, oh, you teenagers down there. We've been teenagers for like two years. And we're like, our notification section, ba-ding. Okay, so aimingforthemoon.com. We got guest pages. We got episode pages. We got podcast logs. During the time of recording, I recently wrote one. You'll probably be able to see the timestamp on that. So when we recorded this. So that's a good podcast log. Um, we got, yeah, as I said, guest pages. Follow us on the Instagram and on the Twitter and on the YouTube. So that is, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Hey, no, you dare judge my my voice oh, I did there. Aiming the number four moon on Instagram and Twitter. And then aiming for the moon podcast on YouTube. So we post video versions of our interviews there that we're able to post. And then I think that's about all. Maddie, am I missing anything? No, I think just rate, review, subscribe. Tell us your honest opinion. You have any guests that you might want to hear? I didn't know that if you were like, oh, I love this author. I love this actor or something. Totally hit us up and we'll try to get them on the show. We'd love to love to do that for you. Yeah, we'd love to do that. That would be awesome. And don't forget to share it around. Like sharing is really, I know we joke about it a lot, but it really does help. We had a big podcast share our stuff around a week ago from the recording of this episode. And that was awesome. So if you share it around, that really does help. But I still am going to say my tagline. Share it with the people you see in front of you share it with your family share it with the uncle you see once a year and don't forget to set your sights high and aim for the moon